Hey, thanks for tuning in to Daily Devotions with Pastor Eric. I hope that today's devotion will be a blessing to you. Either you're supplementing this with your other devotional practices or you're using this as a way to learn more about how to start your own daily devotions. If you have questions about what I cover or you would like additional suggestions on how to include devotions into your life, please email me at ebreynolds87 at gmail.com. As usual, we're going to begin with a prayer from the Valley of Vision. This one is called A Present Salvation. Creator and Redeemer God, author of all existence, source of all blessedness, I adore you for making me capable of knowing you, for giving me reason and conscience, for leading me to desire you. I praise you for the salvation of yourself in the gospel, for thy heart as a dwelling for thy heart is a dwelling place of pity, for thy thoughts of peace towards me, for thy patience and thy graciousness, for the vastness of thy mercy. Thou hast moved my conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the holy sanctified, the poor enriched. May I be always amongst those who not only hear, but know thee, who walk with and rejoice in thee, who take thee at thy word and find life there. Keep me always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit comforts and rejoicings, for spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value my duties as well as my privileges. May I cherish simplicity and godly sincerity of character. Help me to be in reality before thee, as in appearance I am before men to be religious before I profess religion, to leave the world before I enter the church, to set my affections on things above, to shun forbidden follies and vanities, to be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace, to be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. O God, make me worthy of this calling, that the name of Jesus may be glorified in me and I in him. Amen. We're going to continue in our series on Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians 4, 19 through 31. Um, I'm, I was looking last night. I think we'll probably have two to three more days after today uh, in Galatians. We're just really trying to unpack a lot. And when we're doing our daily devotions, we want to make sure we're getting uh, you know, depth and not necessarily, you know, we don't need to read a hundred pages or a hundred chapters, but really break down, okay, what, what is God saying uh, in this passage? And what does it mean for my life, especially when we're talking about daily devotion? So uh, let's look at uh, Galatians 4.19 right now. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the other one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout out, shout, you who are not in labor for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. 
Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child was born as a result of the flesh, persecuted, the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Thus says the Lord. In the first part, in verses 19 through 23, we see the people of the promise and people of the slave. See, Paul uses Abraham's story of having two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, as an allegory for the Galatian situation. He isn't insinuating that the Abrahamic story wasn't historic. He was simply using it as an example of fleshly desire overtaking the promise of God. Now, the promise of God that is Christ and redemption through him wasn't truly overtaken, but Abraham gave in to his earthly desires due to his lack of belief in the promise. We all too often reject the promises of God found in Christ. We rely on our fleshly desires to direct our actions rather than seeking God's will for our lives. Through God's word, we can better understand him, his nature, his promises, and his will. God doesn't call us to things apart from what he reveals in his word. He won't call you into, se- into a sexual relationship apart from being in a heterosexual marriage. He won't call you to lie to get out of trouble. He won't call you to steal or to dishonor your parents or to put other activities above worshiping him. Secondly, in verses 24 through 31, we see the continuance of the allegory as Paul represents the two covenants. The old covenant is represented by Ishmael. The old covenant was based on the law, brought upon man through Adam, who is our federal representative. He sinned, and through him, we have inherited our sin nature. God and Ishmael are examples of our, or excuse me, Adam and Ishmael are examples of our fleshly desire, which rebels against God constantly. We're fundamentally flawed, and apart from Christ, are unable to do anything except rebel against our Creator. See, the new covenant is represented by Isaac. The covenant is given to us through grace, which rules our lives. We are now under the covenant ushered in through Christ's atoning sacrifice. He provides for us salvation and the power to overcome sin as we grow into the image of Jesus. Like Jesus, Isaac was born miraculously. Isaac was promised to Sarah and Abraham even though she was well beyond childbearing age. Jesus was born through a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. The covenant is miraculous, just as both of these births. See, you and I are under this new covenant. We are children of God in His grace. He extends to us His mercies through His Son. He has chosen us from his, for His good pleasure. He provides us joy and comfort, even in the storms of the world. He removes our guilt and shame, placing it on His Son. He bestows upon us His righteousness and image. When we are struggling, when we don't know what to do with our lives, or when we are struck by illness, God provides us comfort. He does this through the promise of providing for us, His children, with what we need. This means that even though we are up against a wall, His love is all we need. Regardless of what life throws at us, He promises His love, His salvation, and our communion with Him now and forever in the new heavens and new earth. Now we're going to look at uh, continuing our uh, reading in Calvin's A Little Book on the Christian Life.
Calvin writes, Moreover, we understand from this passage, Titus 2, 11-14, that the denial of ourselves is partly in reference to men and is partly, indeed, chiefly in reference to God. Scripture orders us to live with men in such a way as to prefer their honor to our own and to devote ourselves in good faith to promoting their welfare, according to Romans 12.10. Thus, it gives us commands that our souls are incapable of fulfilling unless our souls are emptied of their natural inclination. Each of us thinks we have just cause for elevating ourselves and despising all others in comparison to ourselves. Our self-love ruins us with such blindness. If In fact, God has gifted us with something that is good in itself. We immediately make it the basis for praising ourselves to such a degree that we not only swell up, but almost burst with pride. We carefully conceal our abundant vices from others, and we pretend they're small and insignificant. In fact, we so delude ourselves that we sometimes embrace our vices as virtues. When others possess gifts that we would admire in ourselves, or even better gifts, we spitefully ridicule and degrade their gifts, refusing to rightly acknowledge them as gifts. Similarly, when others possess vices, we're not content merely to point them out and harshly and sternly reproach them, but we wickedly exaggerate them. Thus, our arrogance grows as we seek to exalt ourselves above others, as if we were different from them. Truly, there's no one who does not flippantly and boldly disregard and despise others as inferiors. Yes, the poor outwardly defer to the rich, common people to nobles, servants to masters, the unlearned to the educated. But there's not one who does not nourish a high opinion of himself within. Everyone flatters himself and carries, as it were, a kingdom of his breast. in his breast. Consider... Arrogant men who, in order to gratify themselves, criticize the character and morals of others. And when contention arises, their venom erupts as long as everything is going smoothly and pleasantly. They present themselves with a kind of gentleness. But in reality, how few there are who maintain such a superficial appearance of modesty when they are jabbed and aggravated. The only remedy of this is to uproot these toxic diseases, love of strife, and love of self that are implanted deeply within us. Scripture does this uprooting with its teaching, for it teaches us that though those things that God has given us are not in any way goods originating from ourselves. Instead, they are free gifts from God. Those who brag about the gifts they have, they have show themselves to be ungrateful. For who sees anything different in you? As Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 1 Corinthians 4.7 By constant recognition of our vices, let us return to humility. By so doing, there will be nothing left in us to puff us up. But, on the contrary, there will be much to put in us in our place. On the other hand, we are called to respect and commend gifts of God we see in others and to honor those in whom such gifts reside. For it would be shameful for us to withhold honor from those whom God has deemed worthy of honor. Moreover, so as not to insult those to whom we owe honor and goodwill. We are taught to overlook their vices, though not, of course, to encourage their vices by admiring them. In this way, we will act not only with moderation and modesty, but with grace and friendliness toward others. We will never achieve genuine meekness except by having our hearts saturated with self-denial and respects for others.
Whew, that was good. Now we're going to close with prayer. Father, your greatness eclipses our finite understanding. We see your glory in the creation of the world, the salvation given to us through your Son, and the working of redemption since before time began. We're truly, you are truly amazing, working all things according to your will and good pleasure. We thank you abundantly for your work, your creation, and your love. You have marked us for salvation according to your pleasure. We seek to glorify you in all things, taking joy in you and glorifying you in all that we do. Father, we confess our sin to you, our idolatry, our thirst for fleshly desires, rather than your perfect will. Conform us, Father, to the image of your Son. Shed your grace upon us, convicting our hearts as we seek to abide in Christ, our prize and our portion. We are grateful for your love and mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to uh, seeing you next time. God bless.